Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're very grateful. Very grateful for all you've provided us with so little that we can have the degree of fellowship we have with friends all over the country and the friends we have here, Lord, this morning. We'd ask that we would be in your word with a, a recognition that it is your son that is, this is all about. And in his name we pray. Amen. We are in Philippians chapter 2. We took two weeks to get through chapter 1. And Philippians is like falling off a log in terms of quality of information. And gee, what shall I say about this next verse? You know, it's quite, quite uh, beneficial front to back. But sometimes, you know, you, you, you try to see things hidden in the cracks. Things that are uh, just the use of a term repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly. And we, we noticed that in the first uh, week in Philippians, uh, the second, that in chapter 1 there were so many things that were in Christ. You see the same thing in Ephesians 1, in Christ, in the beloved, etc. Um, I have them over here on the left-hand side out of Philippians. It's for Christ, to preach Christ, proclaim Christ, Christ is proclaimed. Christ will be honored, for to me to live is Christ, to die is gain, which is a way of saying for me to live is Christ, to die is more Christ. It's about Christ. And so when we got to that key verse at the end of chapter 1 last week, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. It should land on us in a big way. But that was the, you know, positive church, good relationship with the apostle. Beneficial words being shared. This could be just one long devotional read. But even with the people that he really likes the most, who are supporters of his ministry, who have been supporting him since he left town, Not, left town just a few miles down the road, they sent him remember, a gift from Thessalon, from Philippi to Thessalonica right after he left. So you have people like Lydia, seller of purple, you have people like the jailer for the Romans, the other people that get saved in Philippi. This is the church there. And he is holding out for them this consideration that your life isn't worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is what the gospel of Jesus Christ was supposed to do for you. You see that in various places um, when it talks about the older women teaching the younger women blah, 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 so the, the word of God would not be discredited. How we live is the credit to the gospel, the credit to the religion we profess to believe. We choose to observe on a weekly basis or daily basis, hopefully. And it's so, the, the breadth of Christian experience, the breadth of Christian experience is uh, centuries long. All sorts of, we were talking about it last night in the library about well, uh, Paul was reading it this morning. Um, you know, people have different ways of going about their devotion, and we should welcome one another. There's this breadth of Christian welcome. 
And one of the problems we see in our being a disgrace to the gospel of God is that there's so much disagreement, right? There's so much disagreement. And I have a plan. I have a few things. I could jot them down. We could maybe get to print them up onto like little pads. We could hand out the tear off a sheet, hand it to everybody we meet in various churches. We'd give them a list of all of Evan's views, which they can then briefly consider and agree with. And once everyone agreed with Evan, the end would be nigh. The, it, would be, it would be a glorious time. A, 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 a utopian period where the church understood all the right things and did what I said. And sometimes that's a, a facetious way of putting it, but it's what a lot of people believe. Because of a verse like here in Philippians 2, verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, you look back at chapter 1, it's Christ this, it's Christ that, that this is what we have in Christ. Any incentive of love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection or sympathy, complete my joy by being of the in-red, bold type, same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. Period, stop, and see, you need to agree with heaven. Because who else is right around here? I can't imagine anybody else being right. If it, was, it tells me, have the same mind. And I know that with consideration, as you go through the list of things on the sheet of paper that it will be handed, it will become eminently obviously obvious that I am correct. And we'll be at the same mind. That's what people use this passage for. Tragically, it does mean we need to agree with the one-mindedness he offers. This is why context is an evil demon. Complete my joy by being of the same mind. You know how in the end of chapter 1 it said, your man life worthy of the gospel, that I may hear that you stand firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for faith of the gospel. Now, one-mindedness You going up to Sunday school? Okay, have a good time. That, you couldn't do that in the Vatican. The, uh, the one-mindedness begins, obviously, with the gospel. Where all of us who step into Christ step into Christ through the gospel. We can't be in this religion without having the same mind about the same thing called the gospel. And we're encouraged to have one mind and having the same love. In full agreement about this, full accord and in one mind. 
And you might not agree with me here, but I think it's about a particular subject, the end times. No, not about the end times. Um, it could be about, uh, I don't know, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You might not agree with me that it's a particular idea. We're going to get to that in a moment. But it certainly begins with this particular idea. And if it began with this particular idea, your one-mindedness, if it began with it, you wouldn't have any problems with the failure of it to reach one-mindedness in any other area. You got that with, again, the passage, great passage that uh, Paul read, um, that he should be fully convinced in his own mind and trust his master to help him stand. And he can help him stand. Paul doesn't seem to care what you think about the Sabbath. Paul doesn't care what you think about eating food offered to idols. He thinks one idea is correct, but who cares if you differ? If one-mindedness on positions taken about everything was what Paul wanted, he would just would have told us. He told us that the correct position was being able, able to eat food offered to idols. That's the correct position. That's liberty in Christ. The weaker brother eats only vegetables. He told you that the position was, all days are the same. But we welcome those who have a strong view of the Sabbath. If the right view is the Christian thing to do, you tell people what it is and make them straighten up and fly right. But this one idea, this one idea that has to be the one idea, that you have the same mind, that you're in full accord in one mind, and then the next verse ought to, ought to land on you. It's not him changing the subject. I want you to have the same love, the same mind, full accord, one mind. Verse 3, do nothing from selfishness or conceit. But in humility, count others better than yourselves. That, what I offer you this morning, is the one mind. That is what you, everybody has to have this. This is the mind that I want you to have. If there's any encouragement in Christ, if you have any reason to get together, we like each other. Small church, it's pretty easy to get to know everybody and get used to our little odd ticks and weirdnesses kind of enjoy our fellowship time and meals and things like that. And he's talking to a church that has that kind of satisfaction in one another, that kind of enjoyment of one another. But he says, complete, to get there, you really have to land on this central point to not be moved by selfishness or conceit, but by humility counting others better than yourself. Now, all sorts of things run riot in those few words. Selfishness. So if I ever sitting at home eating four or five, seven pieces of bacon and enjoying myself, some people think that's selfishness because I'm enjoying myself. No, it's when you wanted some bacon and there were seven or eight pieces on the plate. I took all seven or eight pieces and you didn't get any. Then we'd be talking selfishness. Okay? Where it doesn't matter what the real measure of things is, yourself as self gets favored because it's yourself. 
nothing else. Not because you're important, it's you got to the bacon first. And you're you. And I know people, Christian people, who function that way. If they get to it, Providence has provided the eight pieces of bacon. I have watched, I've run a boarding house for 40 years. I have watched people at a 16 person seating situation, they're two in, taking half of the caramelized carrots on their plate. Not even looking around the table to see who has any. They just, well, it's come to me, there's a full bowl. I think uh, I should only take part of it, of course, half is part. I mean, we have to actually, you know, Leslie will stop things every once in a while. We learned this and finally said, you know, a polite person, maybe a Christian person, looks up, looks where it started, looks how much is left, takes their share of what's remaining to get around the table. Otherwise, it's selfishness. Or conceit. Selfishness is what we all do. We just all do it because you can't help but be important to yourself. I don't blame you. It's the way it works. It's the way the system was designed. But I'm not supposed to be have that my inertial operating reason for doing things. It's me. Of course I, I, I take it. It's for me. People who are thieves do it this way. The, the morality of ownership doesn't matter to them because it's for them. Or conceit. Selfishness is just because it's about you. Conceit is because you're stupid. Conceit is you actually think it's not just about you, but because of how great you are. And the measure of how great you are is inaccurate. A person could be proud about what they do and, and be accurate. They could have a spiritual problem there. Conceit is a... You're wrong. You, 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 you puffed yourself up past what you are. The contrary to this is, is denying you just self-service against everyone else, self-first, incorrect, stupid self-first, or just regular self-first, but in humility count others better than yourselves. If in case you need it defined, verse 4, let each of you look not only to his own interests, doesn't have you any problem taking some of those carrots, no problem taking a piece or two of the bacon because you counted up the group and said, I look to everybody else's interests and my own as well. I wanted some bacon, they want some bacon too. I made sure that worked out. We know humility counting others better than yourself. Now, that kind of phrasing, because we don't really understand, we don't live in a society except where merit uh, provides you, you know, your seating at Wimbledon, you know. They have a way of measuring who gets pole position at a particular race. They have systems of monetizing or creating a metric of importance for everything. And sometimes you go to school and sometimes you get an A and sometimes you don't. And you know what that means. Everyone knows what, well, I did better than you. I got an A, you got a B. That's what our world functions in, and other worlds have not functioned that way. You're better 
the system of betterness, if you meet your better, um, might be merited, might just be born to it, that they have been given the rule over you. They are your betters. And when you meet your betters, your true betters, when, you know, the Queen of England has no claim on you at all. She rules England and not even that. But she's better than you. No, seriously, I don't say, what? <laughs> I believe she's a Christian, but even if she weren't a Christian, she's better than you, better than me. So when you meet her, you better be nice. And you better do things for her. And if she says, oh, Mr. Wilson, why don't you give me some push-ups? Yes, ma'am. Yes, your majesty. Excuse me. When I count someone as my better, it's not that I'm lying about their merit. No, 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 really. I didn't, I didn't deserve this A. Why don't you have an A instead? You, you flunked it bad, but I'm going to just pretend that you got the A and I, I didn't. That's not how, because we live in a world where we're, again, itemizing qualities and so forth, which is fine to do in its own right, but not in this subject. We have to count others better than ourselves when it's not true. So how are you going to do that? You know, it, it, it just is artificial when person's denying how smart they are. No, I'm not really that smart. No, no, you're really probably smarter than I am. And I know you're really, you really look better in that dress than I do. No, you, she doesn't. We're lying to each other. Would you be counting one another, counting others better than yourselves is an act of undeserved, in most cases, service. You're serving the interests of others and not just your own. You serve your own interests without ever checking the merit, right? Selfishness is just because it's you. I get up in the morning without even thinking too much about it, two cups of coffee, whatever food I'm being offered, shovel it into my mouth, oddly enough, just because it's me. This is the reason I'm saying this is the one mind. It's not, you say, couldn't this just be a passage where Paul, you know how Paul gets and random truths thrown at you in a, like in Romans 12, just a whole bunch of good things being said. Well, he set this up into chapter one with telling you to have with one mind striving side by side and that this is, and since we're in Christ, <coughs> this would sure complete my joy if you had one mind. Um, you know, one mind. And then he gives this powerful statement about humility and not selfishness. Reminds, words it a different way in verse 4. And then in verse 5, have this mind. He told you to have one mind, full accord in love. Told you what it was, it was humility. And then it reminds you, this is the mind I was talking about. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, 
being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Now, we love that passage because it, your, your head swivels around to the gospel and you know, that is by the, the, the message by which I was saved. The incarnation of God himself is death, burial, and resurrection. Love this stuff that we go into it for the theology available in it about the Christ. And Christians will fight over what it means or how was Christ uh, in an Arian sense just a a lesser being? What's the... No, not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But actually, St. Paul is not trying to get your theology straight. He's trying to get your life straight. Have this mind, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, and then he describes Christ. You're supposed to look at the description of Christ and go, look down at yourself, look up at Christ, look down at yourself, and go, see if, am I, am I doing this? Because the one mind, the completion of Paul's joy in a good church, and I think that All Souls Christian Church is a good church, even with all the people in other parts of the country. We don't have a membership, but we have pretty regulars. We know who we are. Good church, listening to the scriptures, I trust. But we should all, like the Philippians, be looking at Christ's self-denial and service to mankind at the infinite level it existed. The infinite became finite. The infinite and immortal became mortal. The untemptable became temptable. Risked it all, got killed, and all of it is about the emptying, the servanthood, to a mere man, and obedient unto death. Now, there's the example of what the humility looks like. It's not the humility that says, no, 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 you look better in that dress. No, no, no. You might know that you look better in that dress. You might know you're smarter than the person you're talking to who is. But you're there to serve that person and not keep pointing back to how much better you are. Jesus Christ walked the earth never going, you know, I wonder if I really am God. He didn't stop and go, you know, I might be God, but it's really not that important. No, it was that important. That's why his service was important. His humility didn't think... You ever get that problem when you're all apologetic about the Christian faith? Not making apologies, but arguing for it. You say, and some heretic is trying to, well, Jesus never said he was God. And you're scrambling all over for the places where you can create an argument where it's, un, it's necessary that Jesus Christ is God. And he said, wouldn't it be easier if Jesus saith unto his disciples... I know it's early, Du Bois, but I'm God. Would just have a verse like that. Just good, solid verse, and one that explained the Trinity. But he didn't. Not because he wasn't, but he was about us, not about himself. And the only way he was about himself was in the most right way. i get to that in a moment. 
He counted, our, our instruction is to count others better than ourselves. And Jesus Christ did exactly that, even though he knew he was God and you were not. He looked at you and said, yeah, you're a mere man, and you have sinned up a storm, you have displeased me, you deserve only punishment. And I am God, and I've been righteous, I've been even tempted like you, but I am going to die, I am going to serve you. And you, you've heard me say before that Lewis line, I, I didn't look up which work it was in. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. And that's what shows up in Christ's conversation. He's not thinking about proving all the time how great he was. His actions would prove how great he was. His miracles would prove how great he was. He sometimes said how great he was. But he wasn't about that. He was the greatest thing conceivable becoming about you. That's our example. Have this mind among yourselves. This is where we all should agree as Christians. No ifs, ands, or buts. I know my view on eschatology is really good, and my view on time is sweet, but it'd be better for you to hold opposing views to those notions that heaven holds and agree with the Christ and the Apostle that our humility of service towards one another is a necessary mind. Can you imagine all the efforts, what do they call it, ecumenical you know, they create uh, programs and committees where the Lutherans meet with the Catholics, we meet with the Episcopalians, and they try to bring reunion through some structural negotiation like it was Chrysler and Ford blending. And we're not about that. If we would just count others as better than ourselves, lived our lives where we didn't have to always win, didn't always have to be shown that I was the best and I was the smartest and I was the most right. You say, isn't that right? Oh yeah, it's right. Because if you were the right, you know, I'm fully expecting on the last day to be fully congratulated by our God. You know, Evan, nobody believed you, but you were right. I enjoy that. Glenda's shaking her head. I'm going I'm to deal with you. We satisfy them. But you know what? What we do, we want to collect the, the privileges of rightness now. I want to have, remember when you were a teenager, guys, and everything was wrong with you? Everything. Um, there was something called acne, I believe, which is it's a privilege. And your voice cracked at the inopportune moments. And there's not a girl on the planet that would look sideways at you. And there was no point at all unless you could not ever enjoy a story in which someone, the pleasure of God would rest on them in the next life. No, no, no. It has to happen in my life and soon. My enemies have to be discomfited. They have to be shown who was really right. 
And hopefully the girl will be miserable because she married the guy who was awful, but she didn't marry me, and I was really cool. It's that whole Cyrano de Bergerac thing. You want, and then he dies. That'll show them. We want to have the story work out to our glory now with our infantile notions of what makes us important or great. The only time, the, because honor is right, honor should go. Jesus says, it shall not be so among you. Then he promises, whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Because doing the right thing should get honored. Doing the right thing should be exalted. But when you write the story, because you can't write good fiction, you write these really tawdry, junior high, self-important, rewarding you for all sorts of things that you don't deserve a reward for. But we are moved to that exaltation. Because that's what it has at the end of that passage about Christ. Obedient unto death, verse 8, even death on a cross, absolutely humiliated for the service of others, knowing he was God. Then what? Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It looks like his storyline turned out where everybody in your high school admitted, oh, he's the real hero. That's what happens for Jesus. He got humiliated to a criminal's death in a small town, in a small country, by very important people. Died young, never married. Just everything doesn't turn out. But, God exalted him. At the end, everyone gets what they deserve. This is what's wonderful about the faith. If you really do have a self that is worthy of exaltation, you will be exalted by the most irresistible exalter around. He who honors you and lifts you up honored Christ and lifted him up. And everyone understands the real measure. Everyone, everyone on earth, heaven and earth, bows before Jesus Christ. It's because he really did have that position. He was only operating with the kind of heart that said, I will serve those beneath me as if they were above me. We have a hard time shaking our other systems. There is a, uh, as you go on through the passage, there are other aspects of this. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. 
For God is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So it's a combination. God is wanting to work in you. God is wanting to expose what he wants to you so that you would understand it, so that you would pick it up, so that you would do it. That's right. You work out your salvation. For he is working to will and to work. Power is given you. The working inertial force of the good, the fruit of the Spirit in you. But also his will is made clear to you. You know that passage in Romans where it says that you may be able to prove what is the will of God? When you know what the will of God is, I know what I'm supposed to do. I know I'm supposed to count others better than myself. I know this, I know that. I know Christ is the example. (coughs) It's on you. Fear and trembling. (coughs) Isn't that a Kierkegaard title? Fear and trembling. And also, uh, what's his name? Hunter S. Thompson and Ken Kesey. Fear and loathing. I think it's that the different uh, King James fear and loathing from this passage. I think it's from this passage. But I don't know. I know it's a combination. My life is a combination of me choosing it, him working in me, me working in me according to his will. Do all things, this is my mother's favorite verse, because I guess we didn't sound the right way a lot of times. Do all things without grumbling or questioning. Because you can imagine growing up in the Wilson household, little Doug, little Evan, little Heather, Gordon was too young. Everything got sea lawyered. But mother, but father, don't you think What happens with the complainer or the questioner? Oh, we do the thing we are told because of fear of punishment or whatever else. But we're proving when we complain that we don't have the mind that Paul just asked you to have in Christ Jesus. We know that Christ serves us because he loves us. He has turned his face upon us and he has given himself to us because he loved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. This is how I should be motivated, but when I'm told to do something and I know because the church rules, church rules make me do it. I better do it. But I want to register my complaint. Well, I don't think I should have to do it. I don't think they deserve me doing it. I would... If you're complaining, you're not agreeing with the Lord about it. Check. I don't know, what's the phrase now? Check your privilege. Don't think because you're in the church, because you're one of Jesus's, that you're going to pretty much um, like the king's son, so I can do what I want. No, you don't get to do what you want. You get to do what he says. You got to think like he wants you to think. You are to decide. You are free. You're not forced. But. It's not about you. I have a little quote here from a famous work by P.G. Woodhouse. A little less back chat and a few more water bottles. That was from uh, a short story about, one of the Mulliner stories about uh, um, 
the clicking of Cuthbert, I think it was. Um, very weak-willed English vicar trying to move up through the ranks, but he was a very diffident, shy, typical English curate. And his fiancée uh, needed to man up a little bit. And because he was just weak, everybody was, walked over him, his landlady. And he was talking to his aunt, I believe, and she had talked about her husband had invented an elixir that was good for the red corpuscles. He took it, and his personality changes, and he's chewing out the landlady for the lack of water bottles in his room, and she's used to this weak-willed vicar, and he says, we want a little less back chat and a few more hot water bottles. And uh, changes his life. He turns out he was taking an elephant uh, elixir and didn't know it, and, uh, but he stayed on it. Good story. But that's what we're not supposed to be giving back chat. When you know, you might not agree with some of the handlings of what I've said this morning. Fine. Did you agree with St. Paul? Is your questioning and grumbling, even when God has said it, you still go, I don't know. Well, I think I've told you about my girlfriend back in the, oh, when was that? 60s? 69, maybe. Um, thought she could argue with God. She always did. And she thought at one point she was going to win. She didn't. Some people are that way. I don't know if you're one of those people. Yet you really are committed to your rule of your life. Find another religion. Well, create a religion around you. I mean, if you're in service to you, serve you. But if you're in service to Jesus Christ, no grumbling, no questioning. So that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. This is, this is what our testimony is. We are living a life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Because our life of humility, primarily, if, if there's other things as well, no doubt, but you primarily your mindedness should be like our Christ. The gospel which you believed and were saved by is the gospel by which you are to live by and imitate its motivational force. That his love for other people, his gift to other people, in spite of the fact he was much better than that. We shine as lights to the world. We, but the world doesn't function. The other religions design things more in keeping with human motivations. And some things work better that way. I think capitalism is a nice, polite exchange of goods and services moved by everybody's need to get something and I'll give you what you want so you'll give me what I want and it all works out. Everybody goes home happy. As an economic system, it's, it's tremendous. But then there are groups that are believe in customer service. Uh, J.D. Morrow just got a uh, job at Les Schwab. And I want to think about Les Schwab. They run. They run to everything. And you're sitting there eating popcorn, because they give you popcorn too, and bad coffee, popcorn and bad coffee, watching these guys run to put tires on things. Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. car up, back, 
Guys never, never, they never walk back to the, oh, I guess we'll get a drink. They run. You know, that's not Nordstrom's. Nordstrom's, they will take back Les Schwab tires, even though you didn't buy them at Les Schwab. Because customer service. We will serve you. Some people know how powerful that is. The Christians were told how powerful service is, even to your enemies. You shine as lights to the world, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. This is what it rests on. His effort in Philippi at a good church is crowned by this understanding. That Christ, Christ is something that we represent most when we have this kind of service. Or give this kind of service. Our religion becomes wonderful to people. They don't understand why such great people are so nice to them. You, for your fellow believers, for your children, for your wife, husband, We demonstrate our Christianity. Even if I am to be poured out as a libation upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, a sort of a poetic handling of maybe I'm going to die. This is a, this is a prison epistle. He doesn't die in this imprisonment, but he said, even if I am, and they would pour out wine libations and blood libations and so forth on sacrifices sometimes. You even get this in the city life, uh, Colt 45 malt liquor being poured out by gangsters in the city is a old libation theme religious move. They don't even know they're doing it, but they pour out a, pour out a Colt 45 as a libation to their past comrade or something like that. That's what he's referring to, that he would be, his own being would be a sacrifice on the altar of their faith. I am glad and rejoice with you all. He says, even if this kills me. This point is not just don't grumble about it and don't complain about it. Do it. Be like Christ. But this is, this is a joy thread. This is that which you take a great bunch of Christians, we're doing an awful lot, and if any encouragement of faith, any um, incentive of love, encouragement in Christ, incentive of love, participation in spirit, affection, sympathy, okay, ready to go. Let's do this. Because this will make your body together, your body life inside the fellowship, good, glorious, joyful, so that when even the worst happens, we think of it poetically, spiritually. We say, it's, I'm glad and rejoice with you. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. This is our joy. Even if it kills us, this is our joy. We don't, we're not just people who have bad things happen to us and we've learned how to suffer. We're not here to learn how to suffer. Leave that to some other religions. We're, we're rejoicing in our suffering. If we get this mind, if we get it in Christ Jesus, not as some pious, 
program where you create an acts of service committee which sends you out to put a new floor on the third floor of the big house. It's, it, that's not what it's about. It's not what it's about. You volunteering for something. It's you having a mind that says, I think of serving you. I think of serving you, doesn't matter where you are. I'm facing you like I would face my better. You get the benefit in my life as if you were my better, like I had to do this. We have to do it with our betters. We're supposed to not imagine them being better, but being your better. Think about that, meditate on that. Well, let's thank God and go home. Dear Lord, we're very grateful. We'd ask you to bless our time this afternoon. Bless our fellowship. Bless those, not with us, but other places in this country, Lord. Give them a good Sunday, too. In your son's name, amen.